In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has come to us in the form of the Son, so that we might be His sons and daughters. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to start this off with a warning. I could probably talk about this for about two hours. Um, and and uh, I haven't preached for a week. That means I've been building this stuff up. Um, and so, uh, you're lucky, is all I'm going to say. I, I, I will uh, make sure that, that we, we cut it to the normal time. Um, uh, but this is a, an amazing opportunity for us in this season of Epiphany to begin to talk about the claims that we have about who Jesus Christ is. Because at one level, a lot of those claims are things that we kind of say, we say them in the creed, we say them when we're talking to our friends maybe, especially our Christian friends who understand our Christianese. It's sort of like, I'm going to be getting in the Word. Like, how small do you have to be to climb inside of a Word? And, and, and so we, we say stuff, but sometimes we don't actually think about the claims that we are making. And this season of Epiphany is a season of seeing Jesus come into being. And a season of seeing those things that make us go, Oh, I can claim something about Jesus because I see that in the Scriptures. And today, we're starting off with probably the biggest, the most audacious, the most probably unbelievable, but also most important claim that we have about who Jesus is. And that claim is that we believe that Jesus, this guy that history sees as a real human being, they recognize that he was actually bumming around Galilee around the B.C.C.E. time period. Somewhere in there they recognize, okay, real dude. But we actually say something above and beyond that. We say, yeah, real dude and real God. That lurking somewhere between those strands of DNA is actually the essence of Godhood. And we don't really understand exactly how it all happens, but we we recognize that it has happened. That our God has come to us in the flesh of a baby who then would grow up to be a man, who we then would crucify on a cross, but who would raise again from the dead, and to pronounce the forgiveness of our sins. And so the biggest claim that we have is that Jesus is actually God. But sometimes we don't really like that claim. And sometimes we don't actually live up to that claim. In fact, we'd like that claim to just sort of be verbiage. We would like that claim to just sort of be like, oh yeah, Jesus, Son of God, great. Yeah, Uh, moving on. Um, Instead, we, we try to say, well, you know, and very piously too, well, you know, Jesus was a really good example for my life. If I could just be more like Jesus... Well, then things would be pretty good. In fact, I have this bracelet. Um, Some of you got that. A little bit of an old joke. Um, But we kind of think, okay, Jesus is a great example. He's a great person that we can say, okay, I'm going to live my life like Jesus. That comes with a problem, though, because eventually Jesus gets crucified. 
Yeah, how you like that example? You really don't. You shouldn't want to have to mimic Jesus in order to gain God's favor. I mean, a, a pretty awful way to do it, actually. Because that would mean, and maybe some of us are hardcore enough that we would actually do this, but that would mean that in order to gain God's favor, we would actually willingly know that we were going to be crucified, head into a park in the middle of the night and wait to be arrested. Knowing that after we were arrested, we would then be taken into this kangaroo court where they would beat us up, And only after they had beat us up for so long that we could barely carry ourselves, they would saddle us with a cross and then have us go and be crucified. That's the bad thing about when we turn Jesus not into the Son of God, but rather into this great example of somebody that we can follow, this human perhaps, that lived a very good life, and that we can just follow his ways, and if we can follow his ways well enough, then maybe God will love us. But you see, what we're recognizing with Jesus as being the Son of God is we're actually saying, Jesus is something else. Jesus is someone different. Jesus is like a space alien that came into our world. And you can't be a space alien. Some of you maybe try. That's your own weird thing. You have conventions for that. Crazy Trekkie people. But you can't. Instead, you're recognizing, when you say that Jesus is the Son of God, you're recognizing that He is somebody different than you. That He actually is God. And what that means is that He has come into this world as somebody different, not so that you can mimic what He has done, but so that you can recognize what He has done is something different than what you could do. That he lived a perfect life. That he was the beloved son of the Father. And that you simply wouldn't be worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. See, John the Baptist got that. He got that Jesus was other. He also got that Jesus was his cousin. And so it was a weird thing, even for John the Baptist, but he got it. He got this Jesus. He's somebody else. Yes, he's my cousin, but he's also coming with something much greater than me. And John didn't get to see that until he was with God himself. He didn't get to see Jesus be crucified and raised again on the third day until Jesus did that. And so, John understood Jesus is somebody different. He's not an example for us to follow, but he's rather God who has come to us in flesh so that he might save us. 
And so that brings us to the other way in which we try to make Jesus not really the Son of God, not really God himself coming to us. And that other way that we try to do, this one I really love because it's uh, how most of you believe. Um, No, it's not. Hope. Um, That Jesus was a really great moral teacher. And that he taught us, well, you know, how to love one another and, um, and how to be groovy and all of those other hippie things. Um, and we sort of, you know, like some of us put Jesus and Gandhi in the same boat. Um, even though they're wildly different. Um, but we're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, he's a good moral teacher. I can learn a lot from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, try to ignore that little piece in John where he's saying, if you eat my real body and my real blood, because that's just weird. Um, but we're okay with him being a moral teacher. And the reason that we're okay with him being a moral teacher, especially you students understand this, is that if you go to class tomorrow... And you're listening to your professor, and uh, you hear something that you don't agree with with your professor, and you tell your professor, I think you're crazy. I am not going to believe what you tell me. In fact, I am going to go out and I am going to live my life in a way that is utterly different from what you are saying. Your professor will go, "Mm, okay. I guess. As long as you get the right answer on the test, you're good. Right? But, if you get into your automobile, and you drive towards this octagonal, octagonal sign that says, stop on it, and as you're driving towards it, you're looking around, and totally, legitimately, there's nobody there. You can tell that for sure. You know absolutely that you have reasonable excuse to blow through that stop sign. If you blow through that stop sign, they pull you over. Unless you're in my neighborhood, because people blow through that stop sign all of the time. But you should get a ticket. And it's, the reason for that is it's two different kinds of authority. What your professor is saying in that other example is actually probably more important than that stupid stop sign. Or the speed limit sign or whatever you like to break when you are driving. But the stop sign has a different kind of authority. It has an authority that is absolute, that is unquestionable. Your professor's authority is questionable. And so we would rather have Jesus be our professor than have Jesus be the absolute authority in our life. And the the early Christians got this. They would actually commit treason when they were talking about how they were Christians because they would say, the thing to say if you were a Christian early on was, Jesus is Lord. And you probably don't understand that that was a treasonous statement because the other thing that people were saying that sounded a lot like that was, Caesar is Lord. And the idea there was that Caesar owned all of this stuff. And that Caesar had the authority to call all of that stuff into working power if you broke one of his laws. 
And so the early Christians said, Caesar isn't Lord. He's important. He's an authority. But that place rightfully belongs to the Son of God. The one who with the Father and the Holy Spirit together created all of this. And so he owns it. And he holds the unquestionable authority over it. And so we try to define God, define Jesus as not the Son of God in those two different ways so that we can get out of stuff, really. With the authority thing, we, we try to get out of following certain laws. And so we say, well, you know, Jesus, a good moral teacher, I can kind of pick and choose the stuff that I like and the stuff that I don't like. Well, that's for other people. Or the other thing where uh, Jesus is, is totally different and he's not my example, that completely takes you out of the picture in terms of control. And a lot of us really, really don't like that. But, but the ironic thing is that if you actually recognize Jesus as the Son of God, as your Lord, you have much more freedom in those things. Because if you recognize that Jesus actually was somebody different, that he came to be with us so that he could die on that cross, not as an example, but as a sacrifice for you, then you recognize that you don't have to live up to his example. That he will be there to forgive you time and time and time again, because he understands you're not him. That's why he died on the cross. That's why the Son of God Himself had to come down and to be in the form of a little baby and then die on a cross. And on the other side of things, well, we, we know that we oftentimes we can't even live up to our own own ideas about what we can pick and choose. If you don't believe me, just ask somebody about their New Year's resolutions. If you can't even live up to that, how do you think that you're going to live up to being able to pick and choose what the right things are in your relationship with God? And so Jesus has said, instead of you having to pick and choose and trying to figure out the right combination of those things, let me just give it to you. Here's what it is. I am your Savior. God actually loves you because I came into this world as his son died on a cross and because of that when you're baptized into my name you're baptized into who I am and my identity and you're given all of the benefits that the father would give to me that's why it matters for us to say that this Jesus Christ is not just an example. He's not just a great moral teacher. He actually is those things. You can live your life with Him being your moral guide. You can live with your life with Him being your example. As long as you do it in the humility of understanding that you don't have to. Because He's so much more than you. And he's given so much to you.
more than what you could ever do on your own. And that's the greatest thing about knowing this Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.